Heavenly Father, in this Advent season, we've been enlarging, we've been being enlarged by the grace and mercy of your Holy Spirit as we, you, you have revealed Jesus Christ to us in new and in fresh ways. We've been invited to come to you, Lord Jesus, with your great power and your glory. And you want us to be alert. You want us to live wisely. You'd like us to keep watching with expectation for signs of your spirit and signs of your second coming. We've also asked the question in lament, how long, O oh Lord, before you rescue us from the ravages of sin, disease, and death? And then last week, we turned the page understanding in Advent that even in waiting, in the times of seemingly unanswered prayers, that we can have joy. A joy that supersedes our circumstances in life, the circumstances of our lives, so that we can behold more and more of your glory and of your love for us and for others and for your creation. Today, as we want to be blessed as Mary was, we believe that what the Lord has said to her will also be accomplished in us, especially through the waiting. We wait on you, Lord, for you are worth the wait. And so we pray it in Jesus' name. And Jesus taught all of his disciples to pray. Would you join me in the Lord's prayer saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Today our theme is going to be blessed is she who believed what the Lord had said to her will be accomplished. We're going to look at the life of the Virgin Mary as she was confronted by Gabriel with a prophetic message from God himself from the heavenly throne room. Kind of the first slide, please. Jack Hayford years ago had a kind of catchy title for one of his services. He said it was Merry Christmas, M-A-R-Y Christmas. I said, I don't think that'll float well here for the people at Third Church. So how about this title? I like this title better. I want to be like Mary. I want to be like Mary. She's an incredible human being. And she was so open to what the Spirit wanted to do in her. So we're going to look at her interaction with the, the angel, angel Gabriel as she received prophetic words from the Lord about her contribution to the kingdom, reign of Jesus Christ. Years ago, a little introduction here before we go there. If you can go to Luke 1, 26-35, that would be fantastic. Four or five years ago, a friend of mine named Nate Vial stopped me here in the narthex uh, after a Wednesday night, and he started questioning me about my knowledge of the Hebrew language, which is not good. <laughs> I did take a year of Hebrew in 10 weeks, way back when, 1988, and I'll be honest with you, I cannot remember a thing. So he started quiz question number two, do you know what the word avon means? And I said, Nate, I don't. He said it means iniquity. So we have these two words in the Bible, iniquity and sin. Sin is active rebellion. It can be sins of commission or sins of omission, but we're aware of it. Iniquity are like those generational things that are in our family line that we're not necessarily aware of, but that the Holy Spirit has to make us aware of them. So the psalmists often pray, Lord God, forgive me for my iniquities and my sins. So they're, they're actually two different things. 
Well, our conversation spun off into the topic of epigenetics. Now, I want to ask all the doctors in the room and the chemists to please forgive me for what I'm about to do, because it's probably not going to be super accurate. However, I think you'll catch my drift. What Nate shared with me is epigenetics, the study of epigenetics is interesting because what it is, it's this. Epigenetics refers to external modifications to DNA that turns genes on or off, but do not change the DNA sequence. In other words, through a process of methylenization, attachments externally get put onto our genes, which are interesting. So can I have the next slide, please? So epigenetics in inheritance is an unconventional finding. It goes against the idea that inheritance happens only through the DNA code that passes from parents to offspring. It means that a parent's experiences in the form of epigenetic tags can be passed down to future generations. It means that parents' sins, propensity to sins, can be passed down to future generations. And I started thinking, oh my word, this applies completely to the virgin birth. This this applies completely to why if you're going to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you have to believe in the virgin birth. A lot of liberal Christians do not believe the virgin birth actually happened, but it had to have happened. Simple studies, black rat, traumatized, mates with white rat. The progeny has all the characteristics, the DNA tags of the black rat. Likewise, brown male rat, mated with white rat, same rat had a happy life, got all the cheese and water that it wanted, has happy progeny. So they're starting to put two plus two together going, whoa, what's going on here? So I jumped immediately in my own mind. If I could have the next slide, please. I jumped immediately to Exodus, excuse me, to Genesis 3.15. And in Genesis 3.15, we have this prophecy from God to Satan after he tempted Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve chose to sin. He puts a curse on Adam a curse on Eve, and a curse on Satan himself. And here is the curse on Satan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring. That would be all the fallen watchers and demons in the fallen realm. And he, notice that we get a singular now, will crush your head even though you strike his heel. It's a picture of Jesus coming in the incarnation through the virgin birth. So God sends the Holy Spirit to overshadow Mary. Now, we don't know what that process looked like, but it caused the multiplication of her egg, and Jesus was conceived. But Jesus was conceived in perfections. So you go to Exodus 20, verse 5. We have the Ten Commandments. In the Ten Commandments, God says, You shall have no idols before me, because if you do, the sins of the fathers will go to the third and the fourth generation, But to those who love me, I will show my love to them for a thousand generations. And what they've found with epigenetics, the tags last for about three to four generations, which is really interesting. So God avoids completely the mess of humanity, and he allows the Holy Spirit to overshadow Mary, and Jesus is conceived. And Jesus is perfect. I'm often asked in some of the classes I teach is, can, could Jesus have sinned? Could he have sinned? And the answer is no. He could not have sinned. I'll take you there very, very quickly, very, very easily. Question, can God sin? I didn't hear you. Can God sin? All right. Can God the Father sin? Can the Holy Spirit sin? Who is Jesus? God incarnate the Son. Can Jesus sin? 
Thank you. That's how quick we deal with that one. Jesus comes at Christmas to be the perfect sacrifice. So Hebrews 4 tells us that he is the perfect high priest and he has experienced everything we have experienced regarding temptation, but he has not fallen. So God is up to some unique things. He's really invading planet Earth by sending Jesus incarnate in human form to identify with fallen men and women and to die for our sins, to get us right with the Lord. What a beautiful thing the Lord has done for us. Now what I'd like you to do is let's head into Luke chapter 1, 26 through 45, and we're going to catch the story here of Mary's encounter with the angel Gabriel. And the beautiful thing about Mary here is she's going to say, Elizabeth is going to say to her, blessed is she who believed what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. We're going to poke at the prophetic just a little bit this morning with a blessing at the end for some of you if you choose to receive it. So let's hear the word of the Lord. Luke 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. Now remember, Luke is writing the story. Luke is a medical doctor. Luke knows Mary. And three times we're going to see she was a virgin. So this is precise. Mary's name, Miriam, in Hebrew means drop in the bucket, a grain of sand on the seashore, insignificant. So here the word of the Lord comes to this little drop in a bucket, insignificant, sand on the seashore. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus. And he will be great and we called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. At that time, Mary got ready, and she hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed what the Lord has said to her that will be accomplished. This is the word of the Lord. Very good. Mary's story really connects with the 
exile theme that we've been playing with here for the last four or five months here at Third Church. Mary was almost exiled in relationship to Joseph and, and out of a marriage context. Mary was almost exiled in the town of Nazareth because she would have been a social pariah if the town knew she was pregnant and didn't have a husband. Mary was exiled from Nazareth when she and Joseph had to go to Nazareth, to Bethlehem, to register for Augustus Caesar's new census and taxation program. And later, Joseph and Mary are exiles as they flee to Egypt, as they're fleeing King Herod's wrath as he wants to kill all the baby boys in Bethlehem. Mary was incredibly familiar with exile. And so what I want to do very quickly is just share two thoughts that lift for me about how Mary actually flourished in exile, because that's what we're learning to do as we Christians are living on the fringes of our society. We are learning to flourish on the fringes as the Holy Spirit leads us in this new day in our world. And so if I could have the next slide, that'd be great. Here's point number one. Mary chose to believe Gabriel's message from God. What we lose track of in this story very, very quickly is that Mary actually had a choice. She could absolutely have said, no, I don't want to be a part of this. So Mary said yes for a certain reason. Mary knew something that Zechariah didn't know. My wife had read the message this morning, and she told me after the first service that when Zechariah responded to Gabriel, as the text shared last week in the message, Eugene Peterson writes, are you out of your mind that this is actually going to happen to me? And the point is, is yes, it actually was out of your mind. It was a spirit thing that was happening. But Mary had a different spirit in her. Her spirit was one of openness. Her spirit was one of receptivity because she knew God could do the impossible. He'd sent an angel, and she was aware. What's interesting about the text, if you'll go to it, I'd like you to look at verse 34. The tone of this verse is fascinating. The tone of this verse is like this. So the angel says to Mary, you're going to be with child. And she does not say with derision, how can this be? I'm a virgin. She says, how is this going to be? You know I'm a virgin. The tone was one of openness and receptivity to the prophetic word that Gabriel was bringing from the throne room of God. Very fascinating tone. Um, I was doing mission trips for many years for Third Church, and, and people who went on mission trips to Mexico with me knew that I was a pranker. I'd prank the kids, and we'd have all kinds of fun. One of the pranks that we would do as we would build a wall for a particular house that we were erecting is we'd cut a couple of the boards short, and then we'd have some of the students come by, and they'd measure, and the board was short, and then we'd tell them to go find the board stretcher. They'd be looking in the toolbox, where, where's the board stretcher? Where, where was the, and they would finally figure out that we had pranked them. My best prank ever, though, was this one. We had arrived at Door Faith Orphanage, and the men used the outhouses, which were completely rank, and the girls, the ladies, used the bathrooms, which had toilets and showers. And I called the group together, and I told them, look, something catastrophic has happened. I was using the outhouse, and my passport fell into the sludge in the bottom. And we need the smallest girl possible that we can grab by her ankles and drop her through the hole to pick up my passport. And you should have seen the girls' faces. <laughs> Except for one, Kelsey Van Tassel, who was the smallest one of the bunch, she walks up to me, bring it on. <laughs> that was Mary. 
I want to be like her. When the Holy Spirit says this to you or me, will we say, bring it on? She did. It's interesting, years ago, sometimes, uh, I don't know if I mentioned this or not, early in the service, this particular text, Luke 1, is my go-to passage to encourage my own personal faith journey. And anytime I'm starting to act like Zechariah, that God can't do it, I get back into this passage and I read this. In fact, this page is my most soiled page in my Bible. Three years ago, I went to the International House of Prayer. How many folks have been there? Raise your hand if you have been to the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. Yeah. I went there for a day of study, meditation, and then I had a prophetic appointment set up where I could go into a room with two other people and and some of the young students in the School of Supernatural would listen for a word of the Lord. And it was very interesting. Uh, I had a woman from France this particular day who shared some things with me that were spot on. But her closing words to me were these. The Lord has heard your prayer. This is kind of like a Zechariah thing. Zechariah prayed many years ago that he would have a son. Forgot and got cynical. Angel Gabriel comes to him and says, Zechariah, the Lord has heard you pray. You're going to have a son. So I sat in the room listening and wondering, which prayer, Lord? I've actually prayed so many that I'm not sure you've answered. Which, which one are we talking about here? And I believe I've got it down to three choices that I continue to stay in. But I don't want to be like Zechariah. Zechariah didn't believe. And the angel says so earlier. If you go in your Bible to verse 13 in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel comes to him, Luke 1, 13, and he says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Now jump down to verse 18. And Zechariah asks the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news, and now you will be silent, and you will not be able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. In other words, what the angel Gabriel was saying, and he's a free agent for God, is because you didn't believe God's words from the throne room, God does not want to hear your words for nine months. So he takes the spiritual mute button and goes, to Zechariah's brain, and he shuts him down. And so what a compare and contrast here we have with Zechariah versus what we have with Mary, where Mary's open, she's supple, the Spirit comes to her, and she says, bring it on. Mary chose. The question for us is, as the Spirit moves in our lives, will we choose in, or do we have to have a hook in our nose where the Holy Spirit has to take us into our future with disease, or with illness, or with tribulation. I had an old woman tell me one time, when it comes to the exercising of faith, either you volunteer to go or God takes you there. Let's be Mary's. Let's choose to go. Second point I want to lift up today before we move into a conclusion is Mary believed the prophetic message from Gabriel that she had found favor with God and welcomed the fullness of Christ into her life through the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit. I underlined found favor because that's a big deal. Mary found favor with God. Do you know that you have favor with God? The problem with most of us is that we don't know how much favor we actually have with God 
to then listen to him in the prophetic to live the kind of lives he wants us to live. In John 15, 15 and 16, Jesus says this to us. He says it to his disciples directly, and by extension, he says it to us. Don't you know that I've now called you my friends? Servants don't know what their master's business is, but I've shared everything with you that my father has shared with me. Therefore, we are friends of God. In Romans 8, 15 and 16, the apostle Paul makes the point that God the Father himself says we are adopted sons and daughters of the king. We have found favor with God. Now, notice what happens here. Once I know I have favor with God, when God brings a prophetic word, I can believe it so that I can conceive it. When God brings a prophetic word and I know that I'm adopted as a son and daughter of the king, I know that I'm a friend of the Lord, God can bring us a prophetic word and we can grasp it. And the Holy Spirit then can move out and do something that only he can do in our lives. I want you to look at verse 37, uh, Luke 1:37. There's an interesting argument here with translators, and it says this. Can I have that? It's up on the screen. For nothing is impossible with God. The original Greek actually translates that sentence with, with God, no word shall be impossible. So in the prophetic, God is bringing words to us. And when God brings a word, it has to happen. It has to happen. Isaiah 55, 11, Isaiah is quoting God and God says, I send my words out to accomplish that which I want them to accomplish. And they come back to me, not void, but having fulfilled the purpose for which I sent them. And do you know why that is? God's prophetic words are actually intertwined with the Holy Spirit who ensures that they're going to happen. God's prophetic words to us are guaranteed to happen because the Holy Spirit, God himself, goes with the word to make it happen. That is absolutely huge. As I was sitting in this text, the Holy Spirit kept telling me, Keith, keep digging around the text. Don't just stop with your assigned pericope, because I have something for my people that I want them to have as they move into the new year. And so as I dug around the text, if you have your Bible open yet, would you go to Luke 1.46? And here we have the song that's called The Magnificat by Mary. After she meets with Elizabeth, and this is a fascinating encounter, Mary's not even halfway through her first trimester. She's not even showing yet. But she shows up at Elizabeth's house, probably in Hebron, and Elizabeth prophesies that my Lord is in you and my son leapt for joy when you walked in. What a prophetic confirmation for Mary, who's a young woman, 14 to 16 years old, wondering, how is this going to work out? And the word of the Lord comes to Elizabeth for her, and they put their stories together with John the Baptist and with Jesus as the preparer of the way. And then the lamb who will, be, who will be the salvation of the world. How gracious, how gracious God was. But what you see here now is Mary's response to Elizabeth's proclamation, her revelation. And she writes the Magnificat. Now if you jump over to Zechariah, excuse me, verse 67, we have Zechariah's song. Zechariah 67 is fascinating. This is what the Holy Spirit wanted to give me. His father Zechariah, this is in reference to John the Baptist after he's born, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he did what? Prophesied. 
Think about this now. When favor comes from the Lord into our lives, God brings a word and he wants it believed. He wants it believed so something can be conceived so that then we can move out and we can prophesy as well. Prophetic words engender more prophetic words. And here's what the Lord was just encouraging me to do, and we did it in the first services. I'm supposed to offer you a gift this morning. And the gift is, is do you want the gift of prophecy? Now, I've been stewing on this one for quite a while. And uh, the Holy Spirit's really working me over. So I have people who ask me, how is this revival going to happen? I don't know. I think I might know. I think I might know one of the pieces. If you go to 1 Corinthians 14.1, the Apostle Paul says, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And then Paul goes on, he talks about how to use tongues. Tongues, the gift of tongues because we're fallen creatures, is very divisive in the church. And Paul says something really interesting in 1 Corinthians 14.1. Eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially what? Prophecy. Paul says, I want everybody to have prophecy. I want everybody to have it. Why in the world would Paul want us to have the gift of prophecy? Prophecy in its most rudimentary form is the ability to hear God however you are wired to hear him. So if you have the ability to hear God, you're now a prophet. And you can now stack all your spiritual gifts, administration, helps, praying for healing for people, on the gift of prophecy to know how God wants you to use the gift. He'll tell you how he wants you to use the gift. Could you imagine a church that said, Lord, be it unto me according to your word. And now you've given us this declaration in Scripture that you want us to seek prophecy and we would be people who would be open to the gift of prophecy as we do our daily lives in the name of Jesus and speaking into situations in people's lives and people would look at you and they'd say, surely God is with you. Emmanuel, God is with you. So, Mary chose into the favor of God. God gave her a revelation a prophetic revelation. And she believed it. And she conceived him, and his name is Jesus. And then she prophesied. Do you see the line? If you would like me to pray for you right now to receive the gift of prophecy or more prophetic insight, stand. This is going to be very simple. We're not going to make a big deal of this. I'd like you to open your hands. This is not going to be a big deal. This is God's thing. Lord, I want to thank you for those who are standing because we want more of you. Lord, this particular gift, prophecy, simply means that we commune with you. And these folks who are standing are saying, Lord God, they want to be able to hear your voice more clearly as they live their lives. They want to be signposts of the kingdom. They want to be like Mary and they want to say, how are we going to do this, Lord? And through the gift of prophecy, you allow something to be conceived in their life. So we thank you for this simple invitation. It doesn't even need to be emotional. But it was prompted by your spirit, Lord, as I just read your word to us about Mary and about Zechariah. And Lord, we want to be like Mary. So be it unto us according to your word. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word today. In Jesus' name.
Amen.